welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Romans chapter 13, if you want to turn there. Today we are finishing up a series we've been in called Forward. And Forward has really kind of focused on like going into 2021 and, and setting some vision for us as a church and who this church is going to be in our community going into this next year. Today I want to take a step back in our Forward series and focus on us as a church, but focus more on us as individuals as a church. So not just who is Ramsey Heights going to be in the community in 2021, but who are we individually going to be in the community in 2021, and how are we going to face the challenges that we're no doubt going to come across in 2021? You know, 2020 was a year that, that had so many new things just kind of blow up in our face, and it, it almost doesn't even seem real to think back to what life was before the virus or what life was before the election and the political turmoil that we've had, and, and so many things just kind of just Ah, in our face, right? At 2021, I'm, I'm still hoping that it's going to be better, but I'm not so sure that that's on the horizon if you watch the news very much. And, and as I've studied and prayed over, over what God has for us in 2021, I, I think one of the major challenges that we are going to continue to face in 2021 is going to be political. And, and I don't mean that we're going to get here today and talk about how to handle this political decision or that political decision, and we don't take sides politically in this church, but I think that we need to address as individuals, how do we respond to politics? How, how do we respond to the news, and how do we respond to the ongoing political crisis that's in our, in our country that's been going on for the past year or two years or 10 years or 30 years? And so I just wanted to, to take some time and, and maybe through all of the noise that's being put to us in the world right now, I wanted to see if we could take this morning and, and just hear the voice of God. And, and what, what does God say about our circumstances? What does God say about this year? And what does God say that he wants us, or how does he want us to respond? And in, in what heart does he want us to respond? I just want to tell you as we go on that this message was planned back before Christmas. This, this has nothing to do with the events of the last two weeks, but I think that God was already preparing us to maybe step into the Bible and, and see how do we take care of these issues as they are now being, um, uh, we are now being confronted with. And I understand that politically that there are a multitude of different opinions in here. Some of you look at this impending regime change coming Wednesday, and, and there's some people in here that look to that with excitement and hope because they, they had hope in the last um, administration and, and just they didn't feel like they got what they needed out of it. And I understand where that opinion might come from. And, and there's some people that look to this regime change with dread and, and see this as something that they can't agree with, and, and they're fearful of what might happen to our country with new leadership. And I understand all of that and we won't pick sides because there is no party of Jesus Christ well, what the Bible tells us is that God is going to build his kingdom regardless of what happens in politics in America but one thing that we can all agree on regardless of what opinion we have about politics is in the past several months that, that we've experienced anxiety and we've experienced fear and we've experienced worry about what's going to happen in our country and how that's going to affect our lives we, we've experienced hurt at the fighting and the bitterness that's going on. Our country has just been so consumed with anger and hatred over politics. But what's more concerning than our country being consumed by politics is, is that 
believers are being consumed by politics. And so I've heard from so many people over the past over the past several weeks or several months that that politics is just wearing them out. This political turmoil is it's just taking them over and it has begun to control us a little bit. Politics has begun to control our emotions as we are constantly in the state of panic or fear or anxiety. Politics has begun to control our relationships as we started to label family members and friends. Are they on my side or are they on the other side? It's begun to affect us as we've had disagreements with people and they've become so bitter that we can't even stand to be around someone who disagrees with us. And I want to ask this question this morning, is how do we break this pattern of this thing that has begun to consume us and take us over and change our lives so drastically over the past year or maybe even the past several years? How do we break this pattern? And it's no surprise that we're going to find our, our answer in this book. See, we tend to look at the Bible as a book of rules and regulations. The Bible says do this and the Bible says don't do that and it does say that but we tend to kind of view it as like this is what we are going to do and this is what we're not going to do and we all know that good people follow the rules and, and bad people break the rules but I want to change how we look at the Bible today. The, the Bible is not just a rule book. The Bible is a book of answers. This is where we go when we have questions about how to live our lives, when we have a question of how do I raise my children or how do I handle hurt or betrayal? And today, how do I handle and what is my response to, to political actions and political control over my life? See, this Bible is not concerned with just your actions, just your do's and do nots. This Bible speaks to your heart in the midst of actions. And that's because that God knows that where our heart is, our actions will follow. And so this book is an answer book. This book is a heart book. This book trains us not just what do we do, but how do we do it and what heart do we do it. And as we ask this, ask this question about politics this morning and political control in our lives, we, we want to ask this question is, where should my heart be in all of this? If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to read uh, chapter 13 of Romans here, the first three verses. This is Paul speaking, and listen to what he says. He says, let every soul be subject unto higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, the first thing that I want to bring out here is that I appreciate that this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. That Paul has to write this to the Romans in their own time of political turmoil, that he has to refocus them on th this is how you respond to political turmoil. This is how you respond to leaders you may or may not agree with. And so this tells me that this is not a new problem, this political turmoil and these political disagreements, that, that this is something that's been going on throughout the world. And, and Paul gives an answer. If you find yourself letting this control you, if you find yourself constantly anxious about how the government or the authorities of you are going, Paul gives us this answer, and it really comes down to about three different steps. Number one, Paul says this in verse one. He says, be subject to higher powers. Other translations tra translate that as be subject to governing authorities. 
And so this word to be subject to means to put yourself under the authority of. It's like back in the old days, kings and queens, the people who were under them were called their subjects because they were under the authority of. And so Paul says here, put yourself under the authority of governing authorities. Now this is interesting because this is a command and the Bible never commands us to do something that is not within our own choices. And so what that tells us is that if the Bible gives us a command here, it implies that we have a choice of how we respond to authority over us. We, we can respond with rebellion. We, we can respond with anger. We, we can respond with rejecting that authority and fighting against it. But what the Bible here very clearly, clearly states is that our job is not to do any of those things. Our job is to willingly place ourselves under the authority of governing authorities. That means the governing authorities today and the governing authorities that will take over later this week, that we are to be under authority of those people. And, and I love this, that there's no wiggle room in here. Paul doesn't go through a list of, well, these, these are the times that you're exempt. Or, what if the leader is evil? The Bible doesn't clarify. What if I didn't vote for the leader? The, the Bible doesn't clarify. What if I don't like their haircut? But the Bible doesn't clarify. The Bible gives us no wiggle room. It says, when there is an authority, you place yourself under their authority. Our first take-home truth is this, is that followers of Christ willingly place themselves under government authority. See, we have a choice in how we handle this, especially here in America. We, we have what we call freedom and what we call liberty, and it gives us a choice to how we respond to the authorities. We can, we can respond with excitement. We can be the biggest fan of a leader, or we can respond with rebellion, and we can fight and spew anger and hatred. We can protest. We can verbally attack leaders and people who follow those leaders if we don't like it. But this is what God says. God says, my people don't do that. My people don't engage in those things. My people don't um, fall into that. They willingly place themselves under. And if you continue on through the scripture, God explains why. Because we are a why people, aren't we? Uh, many of you have kids, and sometime you've had to direct a kid, go do something. Go clean your room. Go do this. Don't listen to that. Don't say those words. And what's the first thing they ask you all the time? Why? Why, why do I have to do that? Even as children, like we want to know, like I, I'll do it, but you got to tell me why it's important that I do it. Why do I have to do it that way? And, and, and I don't know about you guys. My daughter's not old enough to ask me why yet, but I know where my mind is going to go. After about the third why, it's because I said so. How many of you have ever pulled that one out? Yeah, some of you guys are like sheepishly nodding like, yeah, I've done that. God does not parent us that way. God doesn't just lay out rules in the Bible and say, do it or else, because I said so. God lays out rules in the Bible and he says, do it, and let me explain why you should do it. And God continues on here in, in Romans 13 and explains why, because this book is not a rule book, it's a heart book. The reason he wants us to understand is, is because we could just blindly follow him, but he wants us to share his heart and his hope. And the Bible goes on to explain that the reason that followers of Christ willingly place themselves under government authority is that higher powers are put in place by God. And so the implication of this is that if God puts government figures into power, should we rebel, should we attack, should we assault government figures? If God puts those people into power, we are assaulting God's plans and God's will. 
The Bible goes on in verse two there to say that whoever resisteth the power is resisting the ordinance of God. And so this tells us something very important, not just not to do it or not just the rule. This tells us why. Because these people are put into place by God who has a perfect will and he can be trusted no matter what. And so understanding that, we can trust him. This gives me a little bit of a sense of relief. I'm not in charge. It's not up to me to fix it. I don't have to figure out how to make it better. God has it in his hand. God is in control, and for that reason, I can just trust his perfect will and back off, and I can let him handle it, and I can have hope because God is doing something bigger. See, in America, we have this illusion of power. We think that because we vote, we have picked them, but God is sovereign even over democracy. God is in charge of even how the vote turns out. God has the power to control those things, and there is not a single United States president who has ever risen to power without God allowing it and controlling it. And so I can say this with the confidence of the word of God, is that President Trump was put in place by God for God's purposes. And I can say this with the confidence of the word of God, is President-elect Joe Biden will be put into place by the power of God later this week. So as we look at what God's doing, we know, we know that he has a purpose, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, if we're excited or if we're scared, God is doing something. And this is not a single time concept in the Bible, that God is doing something by placing leaders into places. If you go back to the book of Exodus, in the, there, there's this story of a man named Pharaoh and he has enslaved God's people. God's people are building monuments to him and God decides it's time to bring them. So he bring them out. So God brings out a man named Moses and Moses takes this message to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. This message from God to Pharaoh, let them go, leave, let them leave this area. And, and Pharaoh, of course, says no. And so God starts to levy 10 different plagues on the Egyptians so that he shows them that he is God and he begins to break their will and bring them into submission. And it's in the middle of these plagues that we know so much about that God sends this message to Pharaoh. This is from Exodus 9, 16. Listen to what God says here. And in very deed for this cause have I raised you up. This is, this is God speaking to Pharaoh. I raised you up for to show in my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Now listen, Pharaoh was an evil leader. He worshiped multiple gods. He, he was obviously against the will of God, not just the fact that he lived against the will of God, but as God gave him instructions, he rebelled to the point that God is punishing this entire country for the sins of Pharaoh with these different plagues. So we know that Pharaoh was an evil leader, and just because God raised him up does not mean that he's a godly man, but it does tell us, it does tell us that he was still chosen. And this is the reason God says, I raised you into power, Pharaoh. I brought you up. I controlled your birth. I let you become the leader of this great country for a reason, that my name will be declared over all the earth. Even in the reign of Pharaoh, in the enslavement of the Israelites, God had a plan, and what God was working is that his name would be declared, that these events would lead to God's purposes. Our second take-home truth is this, is that current world events are part of God's plan and are bigger than this moment. 
it's not about what's happening today or what's going to happen this year or over the next four years or over the next 20 years. God is working a bigger plan that you and I may know nothing about. And for that reason, it doesn't matter what happens politically. You and I have reason to rejoice. Because regardless of who wins the next election, who controls the House of Representatives, who controls the Senate, it doesn't matter. God is going to be glorified at some point in the future. He's bringing about His glory and His vision in some way. And the heart that He wants us to do is to, or have is for us to be able to look past politics, to turn off the news, to forget about what the world tells us to be angry and upset about, and look at the world through this version is that God's doing something. And it may get worse before it gets better. But because God is good and his will is perfect, in some way, in the future, this is gonna work out for his glory. And as we, as followers of Christ, look at that, that, that should be what we want more than anything in this world, is we want God's name declared over this entire earth. And so we are called to see the bigger plan, to look past this moment, and if we can't do that, it reveals in our hearts that perhaps what we worship is a political ideology instead of worshiping God. So the question now becomes, can I trust God? I mean, he's in control and he, he obviously has a plan. Can I trust him in this new chapter in our lives? Can I trust him in this new political world that we live in? Can I trust what he's doing? Is he really in control? And can I let go of my sense of need to control and be angry and upset and just rest in my belief and trust in his goodness? Can I let him bring me to peace that way? Paul had to struggle with the same question when he wrote this. Can I let go of what I feel about my government leaders? Can I let go of the political crisis in my country? And Paul writes these words. Let me tell you what Paul was dealing with when he wrote this to the Romans and what he encouraged the Romans to do. At this time, he, he wrote this in the time that, that Emperor Nero had taken over. And if you've ever studied Nero, he's one of the most evil men in history. He's right up there with Hitler, maybe even surpassing Hitler. And Nero, at the age of 17, was given this authority to lead the Roman Empire. At first, he was heavily advised. Many advisors would kind of help him make decisions and guide him. But as he, as he started to get kind of more power hungry, he began to not listen to them, kind of culminating in the moment that he kills his own mother because she's a threat to his own power. In 64 AD, a fire sweeps across Rome. To this day, we still have no clue how it started. But a fire sweeps across Rome, burning down two-thirds of the city of Rome. And people start to blame Nero. That leader is the one who did this to us. He did this so he could bypass our form of government. He did this so that he could build a bigger palace. Nero did this. And Nero finds himself with an entire empire mad at him and blaming him for burning down Rome. And Nero needs a scapegoat. He, he needs somebody to blame. And so he begins to blame this new movement happening in Rome. These, these odd people who start to go against Roman traditions, they'll no longer worship Roman gods. They marry their brothers and sisters. They have this weird cannibalistic ritual where they partake in the blood and the body. And, and all of these people who are followers of this leader named Jesus Christ, who, who was crucified... He was executed because he came here claiming to be the king of the earth. And now all of these people say, even though he's dead, he came back to life and he's the king. They weren't very popular in Rome at this time. 
people didn't like them. You can't trust somebody who won't worship a Roman God. You can't trust somebody who marries their brothers and sisters, even though it's brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Nero starts to blame, and he says, it's the Christians who lit Rome on fire. Those weird people, they, some kind of plan, they're trying to burn down Rome so they can install this, this God that they have, this man as king. It's their fault. And, and immediately the entire Roman Empire turns against Christians. And while Nero has this hatred and this anger building up, he says, this is my opportunity. And it starts one of the first major persecutions of Christians in Rome. <clears throat> During this time, Nero would have Christians arrested, especially any Christian of influence would have them arrested. Crucifixion might have been the easy way out. They'd be crucified publicly while people cheered. They'd be wrapped in, in um, animal skins and thrown to lions and tigers. Nero literally lit his gardens by burning Christians, and that's how he kept his gardens lit at night, with the flaming bodies of Christians. And in the time of Nero being the leader, in the time of this onslaught of murder of Christians, Paul comes out and he says, put yourself under the authority of the government. We may be tempted to look at these verses and say they don't apply to today because Paul didn't understand what was going on in our country, didn't understand what kind of leader we're getting or have or have had. But Paul understood what it was like to live in a country under an evil ruler, a leader that he could not agree with. And he still said, honor, respect, <clears throat> honor and respect and pray for them. Paul echoes these thoughts in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I exhort thee that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good, godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen to what that scripture says there. It says of these authorities, this is written at the exact same time, by the way, under Nero. It says to pray and intercede for these leaders, for Nero, to, to give thanks for them, and in all things to live a peaceable life in godliness and honesty. So of these two scriptures, Romans 13 and what we just read in Timothy, here are the answers to political turmoil up here on the screens. Number one is subject yourself to authority. Be under the authority of, subject yourself to authority. Number two is trust God and trust his plan. Number three is do good and be peaceable. In Romans 13, three, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. <clears throat> do that which is good. So God calls us to this, accept God's control and live our lives the way that God has called us to live our lives. And it actually goes on to say that your leaders will find praise for you. That, that even these people who hate you will find praise for you. And that's, that doesn't sound right to me. That if, if we just live quiet lives and we do good, that our voices will be more heard, that, that people will praise us for who we are in Christ, and that we'll have influence in society because of that. I want to share with you a story coming up here, a picture coming up here on the screens. Uh, some of you may remember last summer, I, I've shared with you the story of Darlene Dibler Rose. And if you weren't here or if you forgot, let me just kind of remind you of who she was. Prior to World War II, she was a missionary to um, New Guinea. There with her husband, they were reaching unreached people with the gospel. And they were there when World War II broke out. 
During that time, Japan started taking over these islands, and it wasn't long before the island that she and her husband were on was taken over, and they became prisoners of war to the Japanese government. Her and her husband were split up, and she was put in a POW camp for women. The fact that she was not only a foreigner to those islands, but much less America, made her very valued, and, and they wanted to keep up with her and keep up with her husband. And you might remember the story that I told you was a story of, of God's providence and taking care of her. In the midst of being in this POW camp, she was actually found by the secret police who took her away from this camp. They took her to police headquarters where they spent months interrogating her. Convinced that she was some kind of an American spy put here for the purpose of taking down the Japanese resistance or whatever in these islands. During this interrogation, she was in solitary confinement, all except for when she was in the room being asked questions and interrogated. And, and you might remember this story, is that she saw out of her window, she saw one of the other people had got some bananas somehow. And she cried out to God, God, I just want a banana. Just one banana, God. You, you gave that one ten. She had a whole bundle of them. God, can you give me a banana? I need a banana. I've just, there's no food here. God, you can do anything. And over the next couple of days, she started thinking about how God's going to get me a banana. She thought about the other prisoners in the yard and said, they'll never share with me. They're starving to death. Maybe there's a guard. And she went place by place over the guards. Well, one of these, maybe in kindness, just bring me a banana. Will God move in their heart? And she looked at all the guards and said, none of these men would give me a banana. They'd be in trouble for that. So she gave up on God. God, there's no way. Not even God can get one banana into the cell with me. It wasn't very long after that that the cell door opened and a man named Mr. Yamaji, who wasn't even from that area, he was the commandant of the camp that she came from, he said, how are you doing? She said, I'm making it. <laughs> Interrogated, solitary confinement. He didn't say anything else. He just closed the door and walked off. In about five minutes, he came back with a bundle of 92 bananas for her. You guys remember that story? I love, she said, I felt God saying to my heart in that moment, that's what I love to do, is give the exceeding abundant. What you don't know about that story, and another part of her story that I want to share with you this morning is, is the man who brought those bananas, Mr. Mr. Yamaji. Mr. Yamaji was the commandant of the POW camp she was at before she was interrogated as a spy. Mr. Yamaji was an excessively violent, angry man. He had been downgraded to taking care of the woman's camp because he had got so mad at his prior camp that he had literally beat a man to death with his bare hands. And his punishment was to go to the women's camp. Throughout her story, she tells about how he would just fly off the handle at the smallest little inconvenience, so filled with hatred and rage, beating these women so badly at times they would have to be carried out of his office because they were unconscious and incapable of moving. That's this man. Mr. Yamaji was the man who called her into his office and very coldly told her when her husband had passed away that she was a widow. She held her grief back and, and she had this opportunity to speak to him. And, and though he was an evil, vicious, vindictive man, she had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and tell him of Christ's love and that though he was her enemy, she was praying for him. This murderous, vindictive man was so touched that in her moment of hurt and finding out that she was a widow, that her concern was for him, that he cried so bad he had to leave the room and never return. This is the man who left his camp to drive to secret police headquarters 
to check on her and make sure she had enough food. This is the man that when she was sentenced to be executed, she was in the room with her executioner facing death. This is the man who lobbied to keep her from being killed and rescued her, taking her back to the POW camp. You see, she spent the rest of her life in that POW camp, but, but she was alive because of the respect to this authority, even though he was an evil man that she had shown. See, what the Bible tells us is that or what, what we learn about the Bible is this is not just something God put in here because it sounds good, too good, and people will like you. It really works in the real world. We see it echoed in stories of the Bible. Was it not Daniel who was under the, the uh, authority of Darius? And when Daniel is sentenced to death for, for not worshiping the way that they wanted him to worship and they throw him in the lion's den, who's the first person there the next morning? It was Darius. What about Joseph when he was sold into slavery? Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar and he works so diligently that he becomes second in that household. Potiphar's best friend and most trusted worker. When Joseph is thrown into prison, he works so hard and he has so much respect for authorities that the prison guard lets him have authority. When Joseph sees the Pharaoh of Egypt, Joseph becomes second in command over Egypt from a slave to a leader. This concept, this biblical concept is repeated again and again and again in the Bible and in life outside of the Bible. See, God's people, we don't exist. We continue to love and do good no matter what our circumstances are. And that's why you're here today. In this moment in time, your birthday wasn't an accident. God brought you into existence at the exact right time because he had a mission for you. Your existence at this time of political turmoil in America is not an accident. He has a mission for us now. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is addressing his disciples, and therefore, even though it was written 2,000 years ago, Jesus is addressing us now. And Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. I wouldn't argue with Jesus, but what a weird compliment. God, can't I be sugar? You know, something a little bit better. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? But at this time, salt was an everyday necessity. It was a preservative at a time when they didn't have the chemicals and the refrigeration that we did now. If you had meat and you didn't want it to rot, you rub salt on it. And so what God is saying to his disciples and what he's saying to you and me is, is you were put here to preserve the earth. That is your job, is that this earth will have a tendency to rot around you, but you're here to preserve it. And we see that in our world. Our, our world is, is rotting morally. It's rotting politically. But God had a plan for this all along. And it was me and you in this exact moment to block the corrosive effects of the world. See, the way salt works when it preserves is it sucks all the moisture out of the meat. And that means that bacteria and things like that won't grow. Thus, it keeps the meat from rotting. And that's what God wants us to do is he wants us to block those corrosive effects the same way. The corrosive effect that we see in our world right now is called sin. See, sin is not just rules. It's not just breaking the rules. Sin is the thing that rots our world. Sin is the thing that corrodes our world. It's a force that breaks down societies. It's the thing that introduces pain and suffering into our world. It corrupts every good, good thing that God made, and it crushes people. 
And God said, you are here to block the corrosive effect of sin. Our last take-home truth this morning is our purpose is to preserve this world from rotting. And honestly, I think this is why we get so hurt by politics. I think we misunderstand who is supposed to be preserving the world. We, we look at the political world and we look at our government, we look at our presidents, and we look at our congressmen, and somewhere in our hearts we found ourselves crying out, you're supposed to be preserving the world. You're supposed to keep this place from rotting. But the truth is, is we've misunderstood whose job this preservation is. It's not the government's job. And I'll say one snarky remark, if it is their job, they've done a fine job of it so far, haven't they? It's our job to preserve this world. That's what God put us here for. And the truth is, is we are not going to legislate morality through some government. And I really believe that God is calling us to take our mission back in this world that is rotting in every imaginable form. God is calling us to take our mission back to block sin. But the truth of it is, is, is we don't have the power to block sin in of ourselves. We, we, we can't overtake sin by us. But that leader who was crucified 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who died on a cross for our sins, he did all of that so that we could have the power over sin through him. So that power belongs to Christ only. It doesn't belong to us and it doesn't belong to the governor. It belongs to Christ. So if we want to see this world changed, we're gonna do it by bringing Christ into the lives of people whose lives are being rotted by sin. That's our mission in this moment. And it's more important than who the president is. And it's more important than who controls Congress. And it's more important than what we think about this news agency or that news agency. If we want to see the change that we want, it will never come through voting. It will only come by us taking the gospel of Christ into the world and watching Jesus Christ change lives. I'll share with you the uh, end of Darlene Dobler's story with Mr. Yamaji. At the end of the war, Mr. Yamaji finds himself escorting Darlene to the truck that's going to evacuate her. All the prisoners have been set free. The American Navy is coming. They're going to put them on ships and they're going to get them back to America. And we see this strange moment where this, this angry, horrible, evil, vicious man finds himself walking this woman to the truck. And though there was a hint of respect between the two of them, he just couldn't bring himself to be soft with her. His parting words were something to the effect of, uh, this is over, go home. And as abruptly as that little advice came out, he turned around and just walked away. That was the last time that Darlene ever saw Mr. Yamaji. She went back to America where she healed from the experience that she had being in a Japanese POW camp and being interrogated by the Japanese secret police. Very, very close to what uh, people went through under the Nazis in Germany. A really, really bad thing. And she went back to, uh, went back to America where she remarried. And, and it wasn't but just a few years before she felt God tugging on her heart again. He said, go back. Go back to those islands. I sent you to them, and you may have been sent away, but go back and share the gospel of Christ with those people. And so she goes back to the exact islands where she was imprisoned by the Japanese, and she continues her work as a missionary. While she's there, she finds other people whom she had been in camp with and had experienced the same things and experienced the same calling to come back. And, and in those conversations, they would talk about what had happened and wondering all of these things. And though nobody had seen Mr. Yamaji, one person had heard him on the radio. But Mr. Yamaji sounded a little bit different. He didn't sound like the 
angry, abrupt man who would fly off the handle and, and beat people nearly to death. He didn't sound like the, the Japanese commander that looked on people like they weren't even people, like they were some kind of animals. He sounded somehow a bit softer. And what Darlene found out about Mr. Yamaji is that he was on that radio proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love and his grace and his ability to block sin in the world. And all of this because a 25-year-old woman, a widow and a prisoner of war, was willing to subject herself to his authority, to love him enough to pray for him, to witness to him instead of fight against him. Brother Danny, as we prepare for our time of reflection this morning, I can't help but think that we've been affected just a little bit too much by politics. And I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for you, but I failed at that. I failed at remembering God's plan and I failed at putting my hope in him instead of putting my hope in the government. And I just wanna ask you today, if you've put your hope in him as well, and there may be people in here that need to put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time and know that he will block the corrosive effect of sin on your soul. He came here to save you from hell, but he came here to save you from the life that sin brings about. For those of us that have already found that, maybe it's time that we just renew our trust in him and focus on our mission, focus on his goodness instead of focusing on the political turmoil of the world.